Well, good evening. It is a privilege to be with you, and it is a great honor to be invited here to participate in this series of gospel meetings. I hope everyone can hear me okay. And uh, I, I uh, counted a joy to be anywhere to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful and honored to be a part of this series of meetings in this place. I understand that the, the church that meets on Rice Road will eventually relocate to this site. This is the building site. And we're thankful that uh, you have such plans, but in anticipation of that, you are, in your wisdom and in your foresight, uh, are sending the Word of God to this location before any bricks or mortar or anything can be laid. And that's really what it's all about, the Word of God. And if you're a visitor tonight, we welcome you. We are honored by your presence, and we pray that you will be blessed, that you will be in, uh, challenged, and you will be, uh, you, your faith will increase. This week, I want to talk about some of the fundamentals. And really, you can't get any more fundamental than the subject of faith. I want to talk to you about the building blocks of faith. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, we find that Jesus encounters a man who has a son who is demon-possessed. And he wants Jesus to heal his son. And the statement is made, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now there are a lot of people in the world today like this father. They believe to a degree, uh, but they need their faith to increase. And I want to talk about forming faith tonight. I want to talk about building blocks of belief. Sometimes our faith falters because of fear, because of doubt, and sometimes we look at doubt as it creeps into our heart as an enemy, and sometimes doubt is, uh, is viewed as something that we should immediately push out of our lives. But doubt is not necessarily a sign that something is wrong. It is a sign that we are thinking, that we are examining, and we are questioning. And that's really helpful at times. Sometimes parents will have children that reach their teenage years and they have a lot of questions. Sometimes they may question God. They might question the Bible. They might question Jesus. And these parents can get alarmed. And they can begin to question themselves, thinking, what have we done wrong? What, what could we have done differently? And what they, uh, what they don't realize is that sometimes questions that people have, children have, teenagers have, adults have, are actually healthy. It means they're thinking. It means they are examining, and it means that they are willing to learn. Now, there are times in our lives, even as mature believers, when things don't make sense. Maybe something happens, 
and you scratch your head and you begin to wonder why would that happen? Why would God allow it? Where was God? And maybe you're praying about something and God seems to be silent. It seemed like God is dragging his feet or maybe he is sitting on his hands or that he hasn't even been paying attention or he doesn't even care about you or your life. And this has caused you to momentarily entertain doubt. Someone said that when our warm expectations collide with God's cold silence, that a doubt, a cloud of doubt will form. And if you've ever had doubts, or you've ever, maybe you have doubts currently, you are not alone. Some of the greatest men in the Bible have expressed their doubts in the form of confusion or in the form of complexity. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 19, John the Baptist, who was sent before Jesus, who identified Jesus to the people, who baptized Jesus, who heard the voice from heaven identify Jesus as the Son of God. And yet when he was in prison, John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus and saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Some would conclude that even John had some questions, some confusion, and maybe even, dare we say, doubts. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Here is the great inspired Apostle Paul who said, we are, we, we, are, we are pressed and we are perplexed. And yet, he says, we are not in despair. And that's the question tonight. How can we prevent our doubt from evolving into despair. Today I want to notice some practical ways to build our belief to feed our faith. And we're going to use really the ABCs of faith. These building blocks. And we're going to start with A tonight. How is it that we can form faith and establish and strengthen ourselves in our faith? Well, the first thing that we have to do involves our attitude. We have to assess our attitude. We have to examine our faith and examine our hearts. Sometimes doubts are emotional. Sometimes they are intellectual. Sometimes they are self-imposed because we're proud and because we simply don't want to, to, to give up something or we don't want to change something about our lives. And so because of that, we might begin to think, I don't really believe this anyway, or we push God out. There's a book written by a man named Frank Turek that is uh, entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Now Frank is, a, is really a brilliant man in his own right, and he goes around and he lectures uh, various um, in various cities around the country and uh, he always will ask concerned parents 
who bring their children to him, who are alarmed, they're alarmed, they are uh, concerned about their children. He will ask them um, what's going on in their lives. And then he will sit down with the child or with the teenager. And he will ask them this question. He will ask them, if Christianity were true, would you want to believe it? That's a fair question. And if they answer no, he knows then that he's dealing with, he's dealing with a, a heart problem. If, he, if they answer no, he's dealing with somebody who doesn't really want to believe. Because who would not want to believe Christianity if it was true? Who would not want to believe that if we die, we can live again? That there was a God who loved us so that He sent His Son to die for us? Who would not want to believe that? It is good news. And so if they say yes, they would, they would believe it if it was true. They would want to believe it. He knows they're dealing with He's dealing with a head problem and not a heart problem. And I think that's really critical in assessing our own attitudes. The father of Mark in Mark chapter 9 says with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He wanted to believe. Now, if you don't want to believe, you're not going to believe. If you are trying to justify a certain action, then it will be harder for you to believe because uh, of our preconception or our pride often gets in the way. The psalmist said in Psalm um, 10 and verse 4, the wicked is in his, in his, pri pri uh, his pride or, or it, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God for God is in none of his thoughts. The proud man doesn't seek God. He doesn't have time for God. And even if God were to smack him in the face, he wouldn't believe in God because he's not looking for God. He's not wanting to believe in God. It's possible for intellectual pride to prevent the development of faith. It's tempting for us to want to know the answer to every question. And sometimes we get focused on those big questions that we can't can't know the answer to or we don't know the answer to that we miss some of the the small questions that are obvious and um, we need to humble ourselves when it comes to this issue the Bible teaches us that there are some things that belong only to God there are some questions that we could debate and we could spend all of our time on tonight and we could uh, try to hypothesize or rationalize or try to um, pontificate back and forth about what's possible or what's the answer to this or the answer to that. But the Bible tells us that the, the secret things belong only to the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us. God has given us what we need to know and enough of what we need to know. I don't have all of the answers. There have been times in my lives, my life that I didn't know the answers. There will be time in my life that I won't know the answers. And that's, that's a humbling thing. But it need not be discouraging. Isaiah said, as he quotes the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith 
the Lord. And so the first step in having faith is humility. It takes humility for us to get out of the way, uh, to throw out our preconceived ideas and our selfish desires. And when we swallow our pride, we become teachable. Um, in Proverbs 11, in verse 12, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble comes wisdom. James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the first building block of belief is assessing our attitude. What do we want? What are we seeking? What are we trying to justify? What are we really trying to accomplish in our lives and through our lives? Let's assess our attitude. Now the second thing that must be accomplished is that we need to then behold the evidence. That word behold, as Jesus would use it, is uh, examine carefully and look at it to scrutinize it and to uh, consider it carefully. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it tells us exactly where our faith comes from. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You ever wonder where people get faith? True faith? Biblical faith? It comes from the Word of God. That's what we're doing here tonight. We're studying the Word of God. And when we hear and read and study and examine the Word of God, it produces faith. That's where it comes from. The basis of our faith must be truth. And truth is not subjective. It is not different things to different people. Now the Bible gives, different, uh, gives a definition of faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. It's very clear where he says, now faith is. Now what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. That word substance, it denotes a setting under a support system, a, a concrete confidence. Faith enables us to possess that which we have yet to see with our eyes and hold with our hands. It becomes real to us. It is tangible to us. That's what this idea of faith being a substance of things hoped for. And it is evidence of things not seen. That word evidence suggests that faith is based upon something that is reasonable, logical. Now we are to walk by faith and not by sight, but we do not have blind faith. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is reasonable. Do you know the, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament? And one time it is used by a man who hears a sermon for the first time and he tells the preacher, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. You know what a Christian is? A person who is persuaded. A Christian is persuaded, not moved by emotionalism, but by the facts of the gospel. And so we find a Christian is someone who examines the evidence and makes a decision and a choice based upon it. Now in the evening after Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, he came out of the grave, he appeared to his disciples. 
But there was one disciple missing. Now, besides Judas, who had gone out and hung himself, there was another disciple missing, and we know him as Thomas. In fact, we know him as Doubting Thomas. When the others told Thomas later that Jesus was alive, you know what he said? I won't believe until I see with my own eyes and I examine with my hands. You know, there are a lot of people who live in a moral fog because they remove themselves from where the light is shining. You know why Thomas didn't believe? Because he wasn't there to see what the others saw. And there are a lot of people like that. If you really want to believe, then you be in places where the light is shining. You expose, you get exposure to the Word of God and to the teaching of the Word of God, that which produces faith. If a person says, well, I'm not sure I believe, but he never studies the Bible, he never reads the Word of God, he never goes to church, you know what? His doubts are self-imposed. And the more you study the Word of God and the more you begin to read it and examine it with a sincere, humble heart, you will begin to see that it is true. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you will begin to see that it is a book unlike any other. It is a book that not only claims to be the Word of God, but uh, proves itself to be the Word of God. And if you spend most of your time with people who don't believe, then it'll wear you down and your faith will grow weak. Our faith does not come because uh, we have some dramatic moment when God strikes us down with a bright light. Do you know how faith comes? It comes when we study the Word of God and we begin to grow and it is usually a gradual consistent, steady thing. Most people with a strong faith have it because they have exposed, uh, they, they uh, were exposed to the truth over a period of years. And God gradually erased their doubts, took away their fears, and reinforced their faith. Now, to become an effective surgeon or an effective um, engineer or doesn't matter really what you're talking about, being successful in business or out there in the world. It takes years of practice. It takes years of study. And we would be naive to believe that we can be an effective believer today if we never study the Word of God, if we never practice what we learn. Now the next time the disciples got together, that next Sunday, that next Sunday night, Thomas was there, doubting Thomas. He was there. He wanted to believe, and he put himself where he could examine and behold the evidence. And when Jesus appeared, you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, Thomas, why are you here now? I don't have any room for you. I don't have any room in my inner circle for skeptics or cynics or doubters. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He was very patient with the honest doubter because the honest doubter examines the evidence and draws the right conclusion. And the Bible tells us in um, John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
You know what he's saying to Thomas? Behold the evidence. Look at it. Examine it. And when you see my hands and you see my side, do you know what you can do? You can draw the conclusion. And you can have faith, just like the others did, that I'm not dead, but I'm alive. And I'm very much real standing here. And if you want to build your belief tonight, deliberately stand where the light is shining. And you're doing that. The very fact that you're here suggests that you have an interest. The very fact that you're here suggests that you want to know and you want to examine the evidence and take that home and study and continue to grow and continue to learn. And don't be surprised if your faith grows stronger when you continue to do this very thing. Now don't be surprised if your faith grows weaker and even dies if you, if you don't take the time to feed it. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse tw uh, 2 through 6, John, who heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, we alluded to this earlier, and he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And you know what Jesus does for John? Jesus doesn't browbeat John. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't tell him, you should know better. Didn't you hear the voice from heaven? Didn't you see and hear about all, that I'm, uh, 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 all of my teaching? Didn't you hear uh, from your mother and from my mother? No, he doesn't do all of that. doesn't shame him and doesn't embarrass him. But you know what he does? He says, go tell John who's in prison. You go tell John what you see and what you hear. Now how's that? And why is that important? Because John would be able to draw the conclusion. He would be able to examine the evidence and compare the evidence to the Scripture. And that's exactly what Jesus provides for us. He allows our faith to grow. He doesn't answer John with a simple yes, but he pointed him to the evidence and John's faith could be increased based upon that. Number three, you want to build your belief in a, in a consistent and a solid fashion? Then consider the alternatives. Consider the alternatives. The truth should not fear examination. We should not fear question. In fact, we should encourage that. Because when people question, and then they can find the answer. Now, if they're fair, and they're humble, and they're honest and sincere, their faith will be stronger because of it. But consider the alternatives. If you struggle with doubt, is there a God? Well, consider the alternatives. Is there a God? Well, there's, there's evidence to suggest that the creation that we are living in and we enjoy actually is orderly, organized. It has divine design behind it. It is not a chaos. It is a cosmos. 
And when you consider the alternatives, it allows you to understand that, yes, we accept things by faith, but there are some things more believable than others. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the Bible says. Was I there to see it? No, neither were you. I have to accept that by faith. But it takes more faith to believe that things just happen. I'm reminded of the young uh, Greek son who asked his mother, if Atlas is holding up the world, what is Atlas standing on? And she said, well, um, Atlas is standing on a huge elephant. Well, he thought that was interesting, but then he began to wonder, well, what is the elephant standing on? The mother said, oh, well, the elephant is standing on a huge turtle. You can't believe how big that turtle is compared to the elephant. Well, what's the, what's the, what's the turtle standing on? Well, it's standing on another turtle. It's even bigger than the first. And the perplexed little boy began to wonder, well, what's that elephant standing on? And the frustrated mother simply re replied, well, that elephant's standing on another elephant, and there's elephants all the way down. And the little boy said, down to what? Down to what? Good question. Now, we're expected to believe that, that um, everything evolved, everything that exists in our world today evolved. And that evolution explains everything and that you can go all the way back and you will find evolution all the way back. But the question is back to what? Back to what? And so we can apply that to every question. Is there a God? Is the Bible inspired? If there is a God who is powerful enough to create the universe, most certainly He is powerful enough to communicate with us in a way that is reliable, that is without error, and that is consistent. And so that's what we believe and that's what we claim about the Bible. It is inspired of God. Is Jesus Lord? Did He, he rise from the dead? If he didn't rise from the dead, what are the alternatives of that? And so, we can look at all of these questions and we can look at what the Bible says and what others say and we can compare them and contrast them and we consider the alternatives and we need not fear examination because it will strengthen our faith in the process. Now, let me close with this last point this evening. And that is, you develop the faith and you respond to the faith that you have currently. How big is your faith? How much faith do you have? It doesn't matter what, how, how much faith you have, how big it is, you respond to that faith and it will grow. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I would suggest that part of the reward that God gives us when we seek Him 
is a stronger faith. Is more faith. If you plant what you have, it will grow. Augustine, he says, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 16, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We may not have all of, the, uh, all of our questions answered right now. We may not know everything, but we do know some things. And again, I want to go back to this for a, a, a second because I, I have heard about this. I have seen it where there are young people that grow up and they get into the high school and they go into college and they hear a professor that they respect a great deal uh, contradict what they have believed all of their lives and they begin to question and they can't answer all of the big questions that uh, this professor may pose to them and they begin to begin to doubt and some of them uh, their faith is destroyed now I don't understand the perplexities of the Godhead, the intricacies of the Trinity. I don't know that I can fully understand uh, outside of time and that other dimension and exactly where God came from before time. We believe God is eternal. But how, what does that mean? How does that, how does that compute? There are big questions and we don't really kind of understand some of the, but you know there are some things we do know. There are some things we can know. And what people often do is that they end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as we say. Because they can't answer some questions, they give up uh, and they throw out the faith that they do have. And they focus on those things that they can't know or that they don't know. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. James 1.8. Paul says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, Ephesians 4.14. And in 1 Corinthians 15.58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Respond to the faith that you have. The man in Mark chapter 9 said, Lord, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what? He responded to that. Was his faith where it needed to be? No, not exactly. Unless he said, help my unbelief. There was a degree of unbelief and he needed the Lord to help him with that. But he responded to the faith that he did have. And he, he followed that faith. And you know what? The Lord increased the man's faith by healing his son. It's been reported that over the Niagara River, we've heard of the Niagara Falls, most of us, I'm sure, but there was a Niagara River that flows over the falls. But years ago, they built a bridge over the mighty Niagara River. And it's fascinating how they did it. You know how they did it? They flew a kite across the river and they attached 
some twine to the kite string. And then they pulled that twine across. And then, you know, they attached a rope to the twine. And then they attached a cable to the rope. And eventually, they built a sturdy bridge that sustained tons of traffic, all because of that little kite string that started it all. And our faith, while it may be weak, it may start off weak, if we want over time, it will grow, and it will grow, and it will continue to grow like a tree that's planted by the water. The winds may blow, and it may bend, but it will not break because of the root, because of the strength that it has. It can endure the winds of time. Our faith, if it is what it should be, it will endure the trials of life and even the temptations of Satan, and we will not be moved we may be perplexed, we may even be in confusion, but we will not be in despair. Jesus said to his disciples, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And tonight, when we talk about the plan for salvation, what God wants us to know about him, it requires faith. And what God wants us to do in response to him, it requires faith. Faith is in every step in the conditions of our salvation. Paul said that if you confess that uh, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In order for us to be saved... We have to believe in our heart and we have to believe uh, not only in God, but that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is the Son of God. He that believes, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. If you're here tonight and you have questions, that's great. Maybe you have doubts. Well, that's fair. Everybody goes through those. Everybody has those. And we need to respond in a healthy way. And if we can do that tonight, we can help you. Please let us know. That's what we're here for. We want to glorify God. We want to honor Him. And we want to do so by building our faith that we might please Him. Because without it, it is impossible to do so. And if you're here today and you do believe and you do want to respond to God's saving plan and His grace to save you from sin, He sent His Son to do so. He sent His Son to die upon a cross. And Jesus, before He went into heaven, He, he tells us, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Have you been baptized? If you have questions about that, we welcome that as well. And if uh, we can assist you in that, we would most gladly do that as well. But if you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, we welcome that as well. In a moment, we're going to sing. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to uh, do so to encourage uh, anyone who needs prayer or who needs, uh, uh, needs to obey the gospel to do that. And if you have and you, uh, you simply need uh, the, the prayers of the church, please come. 
please come while we stand and while we sing. Mm.